Welcome, welcome to yet another edition of Fixin' to Talk Sports. I am your host, Ryan Brown, and this week I am joined by none other than Mike Ayula. Mike, how are we doing today? We are doing absolutely fantastic, Ryan. How are you today? Uh, I'm doing fantastic. My apartment is falling apart before my very eyes. Maintenance is in and out of my place. It is wonderful. But you know what? We're talking college hoops today because it is champ week. Championship week. Conference tournament. Auto bids will be decided. Bid thieves will make their moves. And bubbles will be burst on Selection Sunday this upcoming Sunday. So let's get into the conference tournaments. Uh, How about we start in the Atlantic Coast Conference? They start bright and early tomorrow. Uh, The first big tournament to start. Uh, They'll be running through the 13th. Top four seeds in the ACC tournament are Virginia, Virginia, uh, Florida State, Virginia Tech, and Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech coming in as a four seed with a double buy. Not going to lie. That's, that's kind of surprising. Uh, what's also surprising is to see Duke in a first-round matchup. They are the 10 seed in this 15-team tournament, which means they have to play Tuesday, tomorrow afternoon. They kick things off against Boston College. And then you've got another blue blood that's going to have to make another uh, a similarly long run in North Carolina. They've, they will start as the sixth seed playing the winner of Notre Dame Wake Forest Wednesday after uh, Wednesday evening, rather Mike, any, uh, anything that stands out about the bracket before we get going to a deep dive for the ACC tournament. It's a weird year in the ACC, man. I mean, (laughs) He, seeing not only not only Duke but also North Carolina, neither one getting double buys is is something you just almost never see. Louisville's not even ranked this year. Syracuse, they've kind of sucked for the past couple of years, but they're still having a down year. It's a weird year when the Yellow Jackets are your fourth best team in the conference. That doesn't happen too often. No, no, but uh, <laughs> they've had some guys, namely Moses Wright, just will them single handedly. Uh, to where they are at this time. So let's talk who has the easiest path. Who's got the toughest path Uh, in my opinion. And uh, this might be a Homer take, uh, but I think Duke actually has the hardest path to the championship. And that's just because of how they played against their, their presumed path opponents. They only beat BC by one at home. So now that you got to play them on a neutral site, who knows what, what's going to happen. They lost to Louisville, who is who they'd play next if they get past BC. And, I mean, then you got Florida State in the quarters. they probably lose there. They didn't play them in the regular season. That game got canceled. Uh, but they are 0-4 against the single-digit seeds on their half of the bracket. So Duke sucks against the team's on their side of the bracket. So I have a very tough time seeing the Blue Devils making any sort of run here in the ACC championship tournament. What about you, Mike? Who's got the toughest path in your opinion? 
So if we're not factoring in Wake Forest and Boston College, who just aren't really Division One basketball teams, they're <laughs> just kind of a bunch of guys who got offered scholarships to assimilate a Division One basketball team. Um, yeah, I would tend to agree with you that it's Duke. Uh, that path that you just mentioned, that that's not good. And, and not only that, but they're already down Jalen Johnson, who was yeah. arguably not, – not, not even arguably, he was their best player this year. He was the whole reason their team was competitive, and he's out. The team's had no life all year. Coach K's done probably the worst coaching job of his entire career at any level, whether it's Team USA or Duke. This team just doesn't believe in itself, and it it screams second-round exit to me. I, I cannot see a way that they get into the ter- conference tournament championship or the NCAAs. Yeah, I think they're toast. I mean, when you've got your best player just bailing on the season – in February, just because he had his minutes started to shrink, that screams major red flags about what's going on there in that program. Um, for me, though, uh, I wish that weren't the case, being the Duke stand that I am. But you are a Duke stand. It's it's a it's a really tough scene. It's tough tough times to be a Dukey, uh, but. Let's move on. So we, we don't have to talk about that. Uh, the, for me, the easiest path is actually pretty clear. Mike, I'll let you go first, though. Who do you think has the easiest path? Oh, boy. Well, let's see here. There's one team that's ranked and has no other ranked teams on their side of the bracket. Uh, that would be the Virginia Cavaliers coming in with a 13-4 and conference record. Being led by former Marquette Golden Eagle, you know, had to bring that up because I'm, I'm a Big East Johnny. Uh, but uh, Sam Hauser been their leading scorer this year, averaging almost 17 a game while getting somewhere around seven rebounds. Uh, they would get, you know, the double buy and theoretically get the winner of what is that NC State Syracuse in their first round game. Yeah, and then and then if if all goes according to plan, they would get Georgia Tech. So those don't seem like particularly difficult matchups for a team of Tony Bennett's caliber, uh, they should walk into the conference tournament final. What do you think, Ryan? See, that seems like the straightforward answer, but I I actually disagree here. I actually think the easiest path is Florida State, and here's why. The soonest they could play someone that actually beat them this year is the semifinals, and that would have to be either North Carolina or Notre Dame. And those two teams would have to play each other first before getting to Florida State. And the only ranked team on Florida State side is Virginia Tech. And Virginia Tech has played two games in the past month. They haven't played since February 27th, and they've only played two games in the past past month. I just – I have a very hard time – believing that Virginia Tech is just going to show up, <clears throat> excuse me, to this tournament and be clicking on all cylinders. So yes, they're going to, they will be a ranked team going into this tournament, but in my eyes, I'm not treating them that way. They have the talent of a ranked team, but they, they are going to be rusty. They're going to have to, they're going to have to really come out of the gate hot against presumably North Carolina for me to think that they would pose much of a threat to Florida state. Uh, so I actually think Florida State has the easiest path because they've beaten everyone on their side of the bracket for the most part. And the only team 
So that would beat them. They wouldn't get until the semifinals. So I actually think it's Florida State, but I will agree Virginia definitely has an easy road as well. Yeah, th- those two teams definitely have the two easiest roads, and I think we can both agree it would be kind of kind of surprising if any other team besides those two made it. None of the other teams, you know, pose a really particular threat, especially I didn't know about Virginia Tech having basically the past month off, so that that does affect play. As we saw with Baylor, it can create some rust and, and wear down your level of play. And yeah, honestly, a lot of the middling seeds aren't that inspiring, although uh, there is one that I'm particularly – particularly uh, I can't talk right now wow particularly <laughs> biased towards I'm sure as you're aware of uh, the North uh, Carolina Tar Heels yes uh and they are definitely I, I, I don't want to say they're a bubble team but I think they are just given where they're showing up in projected mock brackets um but so we can dive into the bubble teams right now. I, I think there are four bubble teams in the ACC, if you include North Carolina, and that would include the Tar Heels, Louisville, Georgia Tech, and Syracuse. Now, Georgia Tech may have the four seed in this tournament and a double bye, but they've still got a little bit of work to do. If they lose that first game to Clemson or whoever it may be, they're not a stone-cold lock to make it. It would be hard to see them out, but definitely don't want to play with fire there, in my opinion. For, for me, the first three teams I mentioned, that being North Carolina, Louisville, Georgia Tech, I think they're sitting on the right side of the bubble right now. So as long as they don't lose their first game in this tournament, they should be safe. I think Syracuse is the one where they need to string together a couple of wins to start feeling good about their chances. And the rest of the teams are either they're in or they need to win the whole damn thing. Yeah. uh, I would tend to agree with that statement in general. I think Syracuse is is facing an uphill battle. Um, A 15 and eight record is, is good, but I don't know that it's, it's necessarily good enough this year with how weak the ACC was. I think they would need to make a bit of a run and possibly get to the ACC semifinals to even have a remote shot at that. Uh, Louisville, I think, could be out if they lose their first game. They they don't mm. have a ton of games played. Only 19 games played total. That's really, really not good. The committee is going to take that into account that they haven't had a huge resume to build off of, given decent success. They've won two-thirds of those games. Yeah, But I don't know that that's going to be good enough if they lose their first conference tournament game and don't put up much of a fight in doing so. The first two, I think, are... I think they're going to get in. I think, you know, Georgia Tech, fourth in the ACC. It's it's one of the big six conferences in college basketball. You know, in a year like this, I don't see how the committee looks at them and says, yeah, that team doesn't deserve to be in. They could be facing worse seating if they lose that first game, like you mentioned. But I think they're in no matter what. And I think the committee puts in Carolina just because of the blue blood factor. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know that their performance in the conference tournament matters a ton because – it's been such a down year for Blue Bloods and college basketball needs marketable teams in the NCAA tournament. And North Carolina is a marketable team that will draw ratings. So on that factor alone, I think they will get in, even if it's just as a play-in game. Yeah, I can totally see that being the case. Um, but yeah, I definitely think Syracuse definitely needs to get to the conference semis to have this. So they're going to definitely have to take down Virginia in the quarterfinals. And that is a tough ask for the Orange 
a couple of players to watch in this, in this tournament. Uh, the aforementioned Moses Wright, six foot nine forward for the, for the yellow jackets of Georgia tech. He's single-handedly willing the yellow jackets to the NCAA tournament. He is averaging 18 points a game, eight rebounds, two assists, two steals, and two blocks. And over his past five, he's averaging 24 points, 11 boards, three assists. He, for Georgia tech to be where they are, a month prior, you would have said, no way. And now look at where they are, and they have one man, and that is Moses Wright, to thank for it. And the other player that I want to highlight is Manny Bates, the six foot 11 forward for the NC State Wolfpack. He might be putting up only a modest nine points, six rebounds a game on the season, but he leads the league. He leads the conference with three blocks a game. And he has five games of at least five blocks or more on the season. So if NC State is going to have any – if they have any dreams of making a deep run and trying to snag that auto bid, they're going to need him to be swatting shots left and right uh, if they're going to have any shot to keep their five-game winning streak going into this tournament. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think those are two great picks. My two players to watch um, in the ACC tournament, one is for Florida State, uh, freshman guard Scotty Barnes. Uh, not not the most flashy stat line, only averaging 10-4-4 four, four this year, but he is giving you one and a half steals per game, and he's shooting 48% from the field. He's the lead guard for Florida State. They've been really competitive throughout the year, and for him to – if he has a good tournament, they could make a really deep run and win this thing. And he's going to be the X factor creating for them, setting the tone on the defensive side of the ball and not letting his lack of experience play up. The other uh, on the opposite side of the spectrum, a big man got to bring up one of my Carolina Johnny's Garrison Brooks <laughs> feels like he's been at North Carolina since 2012, but he is finally a senior. He's, he's the old man of the conference. Uh, one of the more experienced players, high, qual- high quality, big man can score in the mid range and inside pretty well. He's the leader of that team, and if they make a run in the conference tournament, it's likely going to be because he has an impact. They have depth at that position uh, with a couple of five-star freshman bigs, but for North Carolina to reach its potential, it's going to have to start with Garrison Brooks on the inside. Hmm. Couldn't agree more there. Uh, so let's. I know you already mentioned a potential <clears throat> dark horse in North Carolina. Uh, might be a little bit of a stretch, but granted, they they don't have a double buy. They're not a terribly high seed. So uh, I can give you that. Uh, I don't know if that is your your pick to be a dark horse, uh, but mine is going to be NC State because only Virginia has more wins away from home amongst all ACC teams than NC State. They're The Wolfpack, like I said, they're coming into this thing on a five-game win streak. They're 2-2 two and two versus ranked teams on the season. And – Although they didn't do well against the teams, against the teams on their side of the bracket, and an at-large bid appears unlikely, I I I can just see the Wolfpack playing desperate, looking for revenge against all these teams that beat them earlier in the season, and putting together a little bit of a run. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I can definitely see it from this team. Mike, what about you? 
NC State's a really good pick. They are red hot going into this tournament, and that tends to play up in uh, this month, March, the greatest month of college basketball. Um, but my pick is, like you said, uh, North Carolina. At some point, talent tends to play up in the basketball world. And from a talent perspective, I don't know that the team in the ACC has more raw talent on it than North Carolina. Now, there are more cohesive units than Carolina's, but they've got four high-quality big men to work with inside. A very good lead guard in Caleb Love, who can set the tone, is electrifying when he's on the floor. And, you know, coming in here, they have something to prove. They've, they've had a down year by their standards, which are very high, although it was an up year considered, considering how they performed last year. And they want to get back in the tournament and show what they can do. Um, I think that they have a legitimate shot to make a conference semifinals or even finals run because I think Virginia Tech could show some rust and they could run through them. And I think that Florida State is a beatable team. So I would not be surprised if a team from the middle is to get to the conference tournament finals. It's going to be North Carolina. Yeah, I I honestly don't hate North Carolina's chances of making a deep run in this thing. Uh, They're peaking at the right time. Um, so definitely can't rule them out. Uh, my pick to win this whole thing is going to be Florida state. Yes, they're not unbeatable, but they've fared well against top competition. And I just feel like for the reasons kind of you stated earlier, like a Scotty Barnes and whatnot, this is a team that can put it together. Yes, they may be. Uh, a bit inexperienced in some facets, but they do have a lot of upperclassmen on this roster. And I feel like they are capable of winning this thing. So I'm going to take Florida State to win it all. I think uh, I think FSU will get there, but I don't think they're going to win. I, I, I can't see Virginia losing this conference tournament. And the biggest reason is when you look at Florida State's lead players versus Virginia's lead players, Florida State's leading scorers is averaging just over 13 a game, I think, you know, that, that isn't enough for somebody to be a go-to guy. And in a tournament like this, you need a go-to guy. Virginia has a go-to guy in Sam Hauser, who's averaging, I was wrong earlier in saying 17. It's, it's actually around 16 points per game, but even so that's more of a reliable guy at the end of the game. So you can put the ball in his hands and say, all right, go get me a bucket, Sam, get, get me something to put me up four when we're up two. get me something to put me up six when we're up four. You need that guy who can be an X factor down the stretch. And I don't see that with Florida State. I do see that with the Virginia Cavaliers. And no disrespect to um, Florida State. I, for, I forget who their head coach is, but he's, he's been there a while and he's really good. But he's not Tony Bennett. There aren't many mm-hmm. people who are much better than Tony Bennett. And in a tournament like this, coaching plays up and Bennett will have an impact. I think the, uh, the Cavaliers take this one home and get the auto bid. All right. Well, I mean, we we're taking one of the top two seeds, so really no surprises there uh, in the ACC. Let's move on to the Big East. They get things started on Wednesday, March 10th. Uh, top seeds here. Uh, number one seed in this tournament is going to be the Villanova Wildcats, who are just simply put, they are limping to the finish line here. Losing guard Colin Gillespie who was averaging 14 points, three boards, and five assists a game, as well as guard Justin Moore, who was averaging 13, four, and three, uh, both potentially for the season uh, due to injuries. Uh, Galepsi teared, uh, teared, tore his MCL, 
and Justin Moore just suffered a pretty serious ankle injury. Uh, so it's unlikely he will return this season either. And then the two seed is Creighton, and they've got their own storylines. Their head coach was just recently suspended for uh, racially insensitive comments uh, that he made during a post-game speech. Uh, he apparently uh, used some terms that uh, harpen back to slavery, which is uh, not something you probably want to be talking about in a basketball game. As not not the best idea. Uh, just going to throw that out there. Uh, but he's already back. Greg McDermott already back after missing just one game for for that little mishap. So a look, nice little slap to the wrist for Greg McDermott. He's back. Uh, so I'm interested to see how the Blue Jays are going to handle uh, things as a team going into this tournament. Uh, Mike, what stands out to you? First glance, looking at the Big East bracket. Well, uh, you know, so, some would call uh, Big East best conference for uh, college basketball. Um, but, oh, you know, it, 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 <laughs> I had to bring it up. Um, but it, it wasn't this year. Uh, there were only three really high-quality teams in Villanova, Creighton, and UConn this year. And you already brought up the Gillespie injury and now Justin Moore, too. Nova's toast. They are not going to get far in this conference tournament, and they're not going to get far in the NCAAs. They're not the same team without either of those guys on the roster. I I don't care how good of a coach Jay Wright is. Um, Creighton does have its own issues, but the players, uh, especially Marcus Zagorowski, who's the main player on Creighton, are behind Greg McDermott and believe in him. So I think that they'll come out uh, ready to fight in this tournament. Uh, UConn has the best player in the conference tournament, James Buchnack, who's going to be a top 10 overall pick in the NBA draft next year. And other than that, the rest of the conference is a giant crapshoot. Anyone, you know, four through 10 is all, Really similar conference record, only a couple of games separating them. DePaul happens to be the one lagging team, but they are every year. <laughs> yeah, it, it, you know, but but hey, you know, some would say that they're a tournament team in the ACC, so who knows? Uh, but you know, just really, really, really lagging in the Big East. But uh, four through ten is a crapshoot. Any of those dark horses could make a run. I actually, I actually definitely agree with that. Uh, for me. If we're talking about who's got the easiest path to winning this thing, I actually think it's St. John's. And it's because they split with everyone on their side of the bracket, including Nova, who is now depleted. So they've beaten everyone on their side of the bracket. Granted, they've lost to just about everyone on their side of the bracket, but they've beaten them. Now, the top seed on your side of the bracket just lost two of their best three players. And like you said, they could be very well be toast. So if St. John's can can win uh, a bubble battle against Seton Hall in that four or five matchup, uh, I think they could actually make it to the championship game and potentially steal a bid, or in some cases win that auto bid and potentially be a bid thief. Um, what about you? You know, it's funny. I'm a. Uh... I'm actually going to take the other team in the 4-5 matchup. I actually like Seton Hall now, now given they're actually coming off of a loss to St. John's in their last game. But I think that could play in Hall's favor as though they'll probably come out with more energy and want to win that game. But who knows? It's it's one of those crapshoot games. But they have one of the better players in the Big East. And Sandro Mamukashvili, who's averaging uh, 17.8 points and 7.3 boards per game. Watch this guy play Providence a couple times this year. And he, you know, 
to use a touchy expression, the guy is a machine. I'm sure you've heard that one before about certain I have. certain sports. Uh, yeah. I, I'm not sure where, but I've I've yeah. definitely heard that one a couple yeah, of uh, times. Two two or three times per game, maybe. Anyways, yeah. Um, yeah, the the guy's a fantastic college basketball player. He's not going to be much at the NBA level, but he can score at all three levels: inside, mid range, and outside. I think he's better than anyone on St. John's roster, and I think if they get through that game, they should cruise through Villanova straight into the in the tournament final. And that's where they'll run into problems with one of presumably Creighton or UConn. But I really like them in that first matchup. And if Nova somehow wins a game, they should be able to beat them pretty handily. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, But I I really do think that Julian Champagne for St. John's, the 6'8 guard for for them Johnnies, uh, he's the conference's leading scorer, just under 20 a game. Uh, he averages seven boards as well. So I just have a tough time seeing anyone on his side of the bracket slowing him down. Um, another guy that I do want to highlight is the one top player for Nova that's still standing, and that being Jeremiah Robinson Earl, 6'9 forward for the Wildcats. He is going to have to pick up the slack for his injured teammates because I'm not sure if his if the bench is going to be able to do that. So the, the team's leading scorer and rebounder, he's averaging like 15 and eight a game. He's going to have to, he's going to have to be even better for Nova to have any shot at advancing through this tournament. Uh, any other players you want to touch on Mike? Yeah. Um, I mentioned earlier Zagorowski, but highlight him even further. Uh, you know, one of the best lead guards in the conference with Gillespie out, you could argue he's the best lead guard in the conference, although Book Knight probably has something to say about that. Um, he's going to be the key to creating success, has been for the past couple of years. Uh, he's actually the cousin of uh, Michael Carter-Williams, who is in the NBA currently, so uh, NBA bloodlines in, in the family there. Um, he, he's a high-quality player who can bring it on both ends of the floor, has, has shown the clutch gene in the past, and he could be an X-factor in Creighton making a run. And if I'm going to pick out one more, uh, I'll give a shout out to one of my Providence Johnnies, as I am a Providence College graduate, uh, lead guard David Duke. Um, probably the most underrated guard in the conference. Um, he had a bit of a, a down stretch to end the season. He came out red hot, looking like an NBA player, but he cooled off quite a bit, and I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back for his senior season. Uh, he was one of the leading scorers in the Big East this year. Really good passing the ball. Um, the capability to score at all three levels, very athletic, very capable defender. And Providence success hinges on his ability to compete with a lot of these other guards, particularly Book Knight and Zagorowski, who are on his side of the bracket. Hmm. So and going back to easiest path, toughest path, um, for me, toughest path, and it's I think it's Creighton and it's not because of who they are matched up with and who's on their side of the bracket I am saying Creighton has the toughest path because they have to they have to overcome themselves their in-house battle between getting over the fact that the, the coach said what he said the players have to make up their minds whether they're playing for him or whether they they're playing for a championship whether whatever Whatever that being, they've got to have it straightened out. I'm sure they will, but 
that's something that's just not going to be lost and forgotten on could, and could be a distraction uh, as the, the tournament rolls on. So I I'm going with Creighton as having the toughest path simply because their head coach is back. They, they, they won the game without him. They lost the, the game, most recent game they had with him on the bench. So I'm just curious to see if the players can keep focused on the court or if McDermott becomes a distraction and takes all the headlines. They're definitely going to have a difficult path coming off that um, new story that came out in McDermott's comments, which were highly controversial and uh, not good in any way whatsoever. But, but I think Villanova actually has the toughest path. Um, when you lose a player of Gillespie's caliber, who's the senior leader on the team, that's deflating enough, but then the very next game to see his backup go down, it's just like a WTF moment for the team. And it's like, what more can we do? You're, you're falling apart at the most crucial time of the year. Mentally, that takes a toll on the players. They're going to have to believe in themselves without those two guys. And I don't know that they can do that. I don't know who steps up to be that leader. I think they can get away with one game because the teams in the 8-9 game, which are Georgetown and Marquette, uh, they're not particularly good, but Hall and Hall and St. John's are, are not pushovers by any means. And I, I can't see Villanova getting through either of them with the devastating injuries they've suffered. See, you bring bring up that Marquette and Georgetown are are just are pushovers. And for, I mean, Villanova murdered those teams but that was with fully healthy roster. So I think a team like Marquette who not only has shown the ability to win on the road, they're actually six and six on the road this year, uh, but they've beaten a pair of ranked teams as well. I think that's a team that given the opportunity that is in front of them going with the opportunity to play a depleted Villanova team in the second round as the top seed in their half. I think you, I wouldn't be surprised to see a surprise run for Marquette, even though they're one of the bottom seeds in this tournament. So if they can get past Georgetown in that opening round matchup, don't be surprised if they shock the Wildcats in the quarters and make a little bit of a run here. Marquette's definitely a team that could get red hot and that road record definitely definitely plays up in a tournament like this where all the games are played in NYC. You're going to, you're going to hate me for mine because I looked at the teams below them and I couldn't see any of them, you know, really being my dark horse and the teams above them don't count because they're too good to be dark horses. I'm going with the Friars. Um, and it's not because I particularly believe in the team because I don't, they haven't been that good this year, barely above 500. Um, only, only winners of their last one game, but they are the only team on that side of the bracket that has a guard that can compete with Book Knight and Zagorowski. And not only that, they have a big man in Nate Watson who can score inside just about at will. They, they definitely don't have the best roster in the conference, but they might, there is an argument to be made that they have the best duo in the conference and David Duke and Nate Watson, both of whom scored close to 20 per game this year. And if you can get both of them going at the same time, especially with momentum, because they, they're they the team that gets to theoretically beat up on DePaul, knock on wood. 
But if they get going with that momentum Wednesday night, beat up on DePaul, that could carry over into Thursday against UConn and then into the Friday game against Creighton. So, you know, they have a really difficult road to get there. But if there is a team on that side of the bracket that's going to take out UConn or Creighton, it's going to be Providence because no one else has the capability to do it. Yeah, I honestly can get behind that because UConn's a team that hasn't really beaten anyone. Like, they've got a 14-6 and six record. They've won four in a row. They're, they've won six of, nine, six of their nine road games. It's very nice. But they haven't beaten a single ranked team this year. Now, I know there's only two ranked teams in the Big East, and Providence certainly isn't one of them. But when you haven't really beaten anyone good, in my eyes, that screams that you are vulnerable. And, yeah, you, you could say, oh, they, they beat the teams they're supposed to beat, and then they lose to the teams they're supposed to lose. And that's all good and well. But I think at some point that makes you vulnerable. And I, I could definitely see Providence making a little bit of a run and spoiling UConn's return to the Big East tournament uh, in their first year back. Uh, so let's talk about the bubble in the Big East. There's a, there's a couple teams to talk about that are on the bubble here. Uh, we, we talked about Seton Hall and St. John's. They're playing each other in what appears to be a bubble showdown where the loser is probably screwed and toast for their at-large hopes. The winner gets a crack at possibly Villanova and a chance to really bolster their resume and play their way into the tournament with potentially a chance to go to the Big East Finals. And then you've got Xavier. It's an interesting case. Like you said, we were talking about Louisville and the ACC. These guys only played 20 games this year, 13-7 and seven overall. Didn't, they had to pause for a couple weeks, close to a month, midway through the season. And so they only got to play 13 league games, whereas most everyone else in the Big East played upwards of 18 or 19 games. So I'm definitely interested to see what Xavier is able to bring to the table in the Big East tournament. I think they're the one of those three bubble teams that I, I've mentioned that are on the right side of the bubble going into this tournament. And I think if they actually just don't lose to Butler on the opening night, they should be fine. Obviously, it depends on how other bubble teams fare and bid thieves and whatnot. But if they get the one win and then play competitively against Creighton, they may be able to survive. But if they are able to get two or more wins, uh, I think they're definitely going to be able to not have to sweat it out, not buy any deodorant for Selection Sunday. Yeah, uh, I, I do think those are the three the primary bubble teams. I can't really see any of the other teams getting in without the auto bid. I think St. John's uh, – Hall Seton Hall needs a run more than the other teams. I think St. John's prob- might actually have the most secure case because they have a quality conference record, a lot of games played, and a really good record in the major conference. Not, not quite as good as some of the teams in the ACC. Um, but the overall flux of talent between the four through 10 and the big East this year was so, so various that I think they should have enough to get in. Even if they lose that first game, they could be looking at a play in game themselves, but they should be able to get in. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Seton Hall really needs to make a run if they lose that first game. I think they're out. Uh, only a 500 overall record isn't isn't going to cut it in the tournament field. <clears throat> and Xavier, yeah, not a lot of games played, but I checked out their out of conference schedule in which they went seven and zero, yep. and one of those wins was over Oklahoma, who is currently the 25th ranked team in the country. So they do have a ranked out of conference win, which tends to stand out, and that should really bolster their resume. Um, like you said, they really just need to beat Butler and then they should be fine to get in because I don't know that anyone's expecting them to beat Creighton, but there is an expectation that they will take care of the Bulldogs. So, uh, yeah, I, I think two of those three teams will get in and you'll see five Big East bids. All right, so let's let's give our winners. Mike, who is winning the Big East in your eyes' best conference? The winner of the Big East best conference for the uh, – 2020-2021 calendar year who will receive the automatic bid to the NCAA tournament on selection Sunday is the Creighton Blue Jays. I, 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 they're another situation where I can't see how they don't win it with the injuries to Villanova. Um, even with UConn coming into this red hot, you know, that UConn's ego could get in their own way. And I just think Creighton's a better team. I think they're going to go out with something to prove that they're behind McDermott, even after his controversial comments. I think that Zagorowski wants to go out with a trophy for the Blue Jays and they're fighting to get, you know, a higher seed, you know, 17th in the country that projects as the top five seed, but you win the big East, you have an argument that they could be a four seed. Uh, so I, I think they're going to try to shoot for that. And, you know, uh, I, I think they win, they win the big East tournament. See, now I'm torn because on one hand, I really think that Villanova as much as I want to write them off and as much as we have written them off so far, I do want to give them a chance to see what they are without those two guys and see what they're made of. I just, but on the other hand, I just, they have, they've not had the chance to do that. And now they got to do it on the fly in this tournament. So I just, I just can't take Villanova to persevere and go the distance and take it home. So, but I also don't believe in UConn. And I just think that as talented as Creighton is, that they've got in-house issues that are going to get in the way. So I'm actually going to go with St. John's of all teams to win the Big East tournament this year in the year of 2021. Uh, It seems ridiculous to say, but... I think this is this is the year for St. John's to capitalize on the path that has been laid in front of them. And if 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 not now, I don't know what. Yeah, they they they've been bad for so long. It's actually kind of funny to look at them and it's kind of like looking at Georgia Tech as the fourth seed in the ACC. You see St. John's as the fourth seed in the Big East and you're like, "Wow, they were actually decent this year or did the conference just suck?" And the truth is it was both. They do have a chance to get there. Uh, they've had a really, really good season, kind of an upstart year. Um, you know, I I watched them play Providence naturally, and that was, I think, when I stopped watching Providence because they, I think, had a 50-point second half against PC. Um, you know, well-coached team, disciplined. Uh, their biggest thing is getting through that first game because Seton Hall is, I think, a tougher challenge than Villanova at this point, and Hall is fighting for something as a bubble team. So, um you know, that, that should really be one of the two 
games to watch in the Big East tournament is that, you know, uh, quarterfinal matchup between the Giannis and uh, the Pirates of Seton Hall. Yeah, I, I honestly, I think the winner of that game is going to make the finals, and I wouldn't be surprised if they won it all. Neither uh, would I. I. They're both good enough to do it. Yeah. Moving on to uh, the the Big Ten Conference. They get underway on Wednesday as well. They'll run through Sunday. Uh, the top four seeds in the Big Ten, you've got Michigan, Illinois, Iowa, and Purdue. Notice Ohio State is not amongst that group, and they are a top 10 team in the country right now. They are ranked ninth in the country, yet they are seeded fifth in the Big Ten tournament. So that just shows you the top of the, how, how many elite teams are in this conference. And this, this could be a really fun tournament down the stretch. Uh, the games early on, maybe not so much. But once we get into the quarterfinals, things business is going to pick up in this conference, and we may get we may get an appetizer in the second round. Uh, but I'll I'll get to that uh, in a little bit. So, Mike, first thoughts when looking at the Big Ten bracket. This conference has the most top end talent, maybe of any conference tournament I've seen in a long time. I mean, the, the top three seeds are, th- are fourth, third, and fifth, respectively, in the country. You don't get that that often where three of the top five teams in the country are all playing in one conference. But that's that's how the big has been this year, along with another top 10 team in Ohio State and a top, another top 25 team in Purdue. The middle of the pack has been high quality, but uh, not great, I would say. I would call them all really good teams but they are a step below these top teams. And uh, I think the top heaviness does play up and we're going to get some pretty predictable semifinal and conference tournament uh, matchups or conference final matchups. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that were the case as well. Uh, start with the toughest path. Uh, Mike, who's got the toughest path in the, the big 10 tournament? Toughest path in the Big Ten tournament. Um, all right, so I've been trying to avoid using the cop outs, but this is the one place I think that uh, I think that I'm going to use the cop out because there's just so many good teams in the middle. I'm gonna go with Nebraska here. Uh, they are. Oh the come one. on! Don't listen, be that listen. guy. Come on! Listen, it's do it for the tournament only. Uh, Use only tournament teams that could potentially make it. Not not right. a bottom feeder that literally has no choice but to win the auto bid. Come on, Mike. All right. Only no cop outs here. Only tournament teams. Uh, difficult road. Yeah, I'll let gonna... you think about it. I'll let you think right, about it. Right, I'll right. start mm-hmm. first. All right. I think the toughest path is Indiana. And yeah, of, of those, they're, they're a double-digit seed, but they are a team that if they were to win a couple of games and make it to the conference semifinals, they would definitely be back into the at-large conversation. The problem is it's very doubtful that they're even going to sniff the conference semifinals uh, or even the quarterfinals for that rather, because their second round matchup, their opening matchup is against Rutgers in the seven, 10 game. 
they lost to Rutgers twice this year. If they were to get revenge and third time is the charm, they play Illinois in the quarters. They lost to Illinois twice this year. And even if, if you go on and you somehow beat the both of them, Indiana hasn't fared well against Wisconsin either. Their only marquee wins is that they swept Iowa for some reason this year. They, they had Iowa's number. Don't know why, but they did. So unless history does not repeat itself, Indiana's at-large hopes are absolutely toast. Yeah, Indiana, um, that's a brutal road. But if I'm going to pick a real team uh, and not not cop out, um, I'm going to go with the Maryland Terrapins. Now, I, I, I think this is okay to go with. Do I have your permission to go on about Maryland? Uh, yeah, yeah, yes. They, that is a tournament caliber team. Yeah, so Maryland is a tournament caliber <laughs> team. Um, you know, above, above 500 record in what has been one of the more difficult conferences in college basketball this year. I believe they're the the eight seed in the Big Ten tournament, so they do have a bye to the quarterfinals. Or are they the ninth seed? Am I? I don't have the bracket in front of me. ESPN lists them as eight, but I'm I know that nine has to play in the opening round, and eight does not. No, um, so the eight nine matchup is locked in. Uh, there is no fifteen seed in the Big Ten. Okay, so they're locked in. So they have to play. Michigan State in their opening game yes. who's coming off a massive momentous win against the Michigan Wolverines, their in-state rivals. So State's coming into this game red hot, red hot. Well, Indiana or Maryland, excuse me, is coming in having lost two in a row. Yep. If they're to somehow to get through Michigan State, they then run into Michigan who beat them by double digits twice this year. That's a brutal start to the tournament. If they somehow get through that, they're going to likely end up facing the winner of Purdue and Ohio State. More likely Purdue, who's red hot winning five in a row coming into this tournament. And if they get through all of that, most likely the winner of Illinois and Iowa is going to be sitting there in the conference title game. (laughs) That is a miserable, miserable road to winning the big tournament. I don't even know that they're going to get through game one. And if they do, they're probably going to get clobbered in game two. Yeah. That team, they're, they're, they're screwed. Yeah, Maryland and Indiana have to run an absolute gauntlet. Yeah. If they're lucky enough to get through their opener, they have to presumably beat three ranked teams, and not only three ranked teams, three highly ranked teams in order to claim the auto bid. Uh, I, I just I just don't think either of those teams have, have much hope the way they're, they've either – played against their potential opponents or the way they are they've played going into this tournament uh so let's go on the reverse side of things the easiest path uh mike who's got the easiest road to to win this one uh it appears that we have we have lost little mike here ryan um i don't understand what has happened but uh little mike has just exited the call uh, so I don't know what you want to do about that. Oh, well, that's that's unfortunate. Uh, we have run into some technical difficulties mid-show, which means we are back to going solo. So for the time being, I will run through things, see if we can get Mike back in here. Uh, hopefully he can 
figure things out on his end. Uh, so uh, I will once again start. Uh, for me, the easiest path, who the team that has the easiest path in the Big Ten tournament is Illinois. And the reason why Illinois has the easiest path is because they have only one loss to teams on their half of the bracket. And when you get a top five team that has run roughshod over all of the teams on their end of the bracket, and their only loss was to a Rutgers team by three on the road, I, I, if anything, that one loss is going to serve as fuel for Illinois to put the smackdown on Rutgers. If the Scarlet Knights were to advance to the quarterfinals, I like Illinois' chances to make a big run in this tournament. They are clicking on all cylinders coming into this tournament. Uh, give me some Kofi Coburn and Io Donsumu uh, for the fighting Illini in the Big Ten tournament. That's That, to me, is the team, maybe maybe even the team to beat. And, and in my opinion, they've got the easiest road to the championship. Uh, Mike, are, are you back with us? I, I am back. I apologize. I was having technical difficulties. I clicked my headphone and it locked me out. Ah, uh, you hate to see this. That's tough. All right. Well, Mike, I'm tossing it back to you. Who's got the easiest road to the championship here in the Big Ten Conference? So I did like your Illinois take, but I'm going to go with Michigan, and it's simply for the reason that they don't have to play Illinois or Iowa until the title game. The rest of the teams, those three are heads and shoulders above every other team in this conference tournament. And Michigan is the only team that doesn't have to play a, a similarly elite-level team before the conference tournament final. The other two are likely going to run into each other in the conference tournament semifinal and have to put in work to get the right to play Michigan. Whereas Michigan, if they do what they're supposed to do, which is beat the crap out of all these teams, is just going to cruise to the Big Ten final. So for that reason, I like Michigan's road. I think it's a fantastically easy road. See, I just – I can't agree with you there because if, if Michigan State beats Maryland, then you get a rivalry game for Michigan's first game – Yes, Michigan is coming off a loss to Michigan State, so the Wolverines are definitely going to have a chip on their shoulder there. But you could also – the reverse can be said because State lost to Michigan earlier earlier in the week. So they split their their home-and-home uh, home series. So seeing who would take the best of three, uh, I don't think that one is a, is, is – I don't think State's a pushover. I know they got off to a really bad start in conference play, hence why they are the nine seed in this tournament, but they have really put it together here. And honestly, considering that they've won four of six, they've beaten Illinois, beaten Ohio state, beaten Michigan. I don't think that's a pushover. So if Michigan state beats Maryland, Michigan has to start off with a rivalry game against a really, really solid team that just beat them. Right. But on the flip side of that, you could make the argument that Illinois doesn't necessarily have pushovers either because in their quarterfinal game, they would be playing the seven seed Rutgers. One of their four losses this year in the conference 
who also happens to be my dark horse. And here's why. They're led by the son of former NBA player and Michael Jordan simp, Ron Harper Jr., who's averaging close to 16 <laughs> points per game. Yeah, I, I did just call somebody a Michael Jordan simp on a podcast. I know. Not, not what you were expecting to hear tonight, but, you know, we're here for the content and a good time. Uh, they're a very disciplined team. You know, 500 conference record isn't great, but it's not bad given the quality of play in the Big East this year. And they have someone who can go toe-to-toe with A.O. Desunmu. They're not going to be a walk in the park for Illinois to get through. Um, you know, and and even if they get through them, then waiting for them is either going to be Wisco, most likely not, or Iowa, who is led by the best player in the conference, Luca Garza. And then if you get through all that, then you're still probably going to have to play Michigan again anyways. So I don't think Illinois' path is all that easy when you really, really break it down. All right. All right. Well, we'll agree to disagree here. Um, moving on to players to watch. Obviously, you mentioned Luca Garza, uh, potential, if not certified, guaranteed national player of the year, center for the Iowa Hawkeyes. Uh, I mentioned the dynamic duo for the Fighting Illini, Kofi Coburn, uh, the center, and Ayo Dosumu, the guard for Illinois. They've been fantastic this year, leading Illinois to a potential number one seed in the NCAA tourney. And uh, amongst the the lesser-seeded teams, uh, how about Tracy Jackson Davis, the forward for the Indiana Hoosiers? He's trying to keep his team's at-large hopes alive. He's been averaging 19-9 and this year, uh, doing his best to will his team uh, to the NCAA tournament. Uh, any any uh, any players of note for you, Mike, in this tournament that people should be keeping an eye on? So I'll give you two. So we've talked a lot about about Michigan as the number one team in the tournament, but we haven't brought up any of their players. Their main guy is Hunter Dickinson, a uh, big man on the inside, averaging 14 and almost eight rebounds per game. Uh, he, he's been their leading force all year. He's you know going to have quite a few challenges on his hands with some of the other high-quality big men in the Big East one of whom would be Purdue's lead big man, Trevion Williams, who's averaging 15 points and close to nine rebounds per game. Uh, he's really been the leading force behind Purdue's five-game winning streak coming into this tournament. And he could be the reason that they, you know, beat Ohio State and then potentially pull off an upset of the Wolverines to get to the conference tournament final, assuming assuming they, they get through their first-round game. That's fair. Yeah, I like those those players. Uh, definitely going to have to give them a watch as during at some point uh, in the Big Ten tournament. Uh, let's let's talk about the bubble, the bubble teams that are living in the Big Ten. Uh, we've m- mentioned a couple of them already, uh, and it's funny because they're playing each other. You've got Rutgers, Maryland, Michigan State, and Indiana who I believe are all on the bubble in one way, shape, or form. And they are seeded 7 through 10 in the Big Ten, so they're all playing each other in the second round in their opening matchups. I think the winners are going to be in decent shape uh, and potentially be even safe, no sweat. But the losers, maybe with the exception being Michigan State. I think the losers are definitely going to be stuck sweating it out come Selection Sunday. 
Uh, Indiana uh, is definitely the most desperate of those four teams. They need two, like I said, they need two wins just to just to get into this conversation, really. Um, but there, I think there is a path to be had where they don't have to necessarily win the entire tournament and get the auto bid to get into the NCAAs. But I do think it requires them to at least get to the conference semifinals, if not the title game. Whereas in Michigan State, a Maryland, uh, and a Rutgers, probably one win and they're in. And in the case of Sparty, I think they could actually take a close loss and still wind up in. I would tend to agree with that in general. Um, I think the one thing I might disagree with is I, I don't know that Sparty is necessarily a lock, even coming off their high quality win. And I don't know that Maryland is either, you know, they are over 500 and it's been a difficult conference all year, but you know, you've got 64, really 68 slots in the NCAA tournament. I think that this is an eight team conference. I don't, or eight teams that will get a bid. I don't know that they're going to give a bid to nine teams. I can't really see Indiana garnering a bid with a sub 500 record. Yeah. I, I think that if a ninth team gets in, you can lock in that ninth team as a playing game. I, I don't see how they wouldn't give one of the big 10 teams a playing game if nine teams get in. I think whoever loses that Maryland Michigan State game is going to be sweating it out on Sunday because they are the two teams that I think are really, really on the cusp of the bubble. Mm-hmm. When you look at it, um, I think the winner should be safe regardless of what happens against Michigan, but the loser is they're going to have uh, some sweaty palms come, come Sunday evening. Um, and if they do get in, they're likely going to have to play a Tuesday or Wednesday game before they get into the real tournament. See, I, I, I agree with most of that, but I think Rutgers is in that same conversation with how they're playing down the stretch. They started off so well uh, in the season. They had a strong non-conference play uh, record, or rather, and they were in the top 25 rankings. They were in and out of it uh, earlier in the season, and they've kind of skidded to the finish line here. And if they were to bow out in the first round to an Indiana team that, like you said, below 500 record, uh, that, that might leave them in an unenviable position uh, when it comes to hearing their name called on Sunday. So I, wouldn't, I would say Rutgers is in that same boat as well, where they probably shouldn't leave it up to chance. They should probably take care of business in that opening round matchup against Indiana. So, Mike, who's the dark horse in a team, a 14-team league with so many top-end teams? Is there a dark horse that you think has a chance? And that's tough. There are a lot of, of really, really good teams in the middle. But if there's a dark horse, I'm going to stick with Rutgers. I know you said they've been skidding to the finish, but the fact that they're on Illinois' side of the bracket and they're one of the teams that has beaten Illinois this year, you know, that that says something. I, I know it was earlier in the season. I know Illinois is red hot coming into this, 
But they have a guy who can go toe-to-toe with Desunmu and Ron Harper Jr. And if they did it once, that means they can do it again. You do it again, you get to the conference semis. There's Iowa waiting for you. Iowa's not better than Illinois. No reason you can't beat Iowa. All of a sudden, you're in the conference title game. Anything can happen. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't really see anybody outside of the top four teams in the conference winning this tournament. But if somebody from that, like, six through 11 range is going to, you know, pull this out, I think they could be the team to do it. I think that team is actually Michigan State. Uh, for some of the reasons that I mentioned earlier, they're, they've really come along down the stretch here. They've picked up a bunch of huge wins to go from being down and out in terms of their tourney hopes to all of a sudden seemingly on the right side of the cut line and, and put it, starting to put some distance between uh, themselves and the cut line. Uh, if they can get past Maryland, who they did lose to in their one regular season matchup, they lost by 18 to Maryland earlier this year and set up that trilogy uh, of sorts with Michigan. Uh, I think all bets are off in that one. I think you can, you can give Michigan state a fighting chance to, to take down the Wolverines yet again. And if they are able to do that, all bets are off for Sparty. They could be on a roll that nobody on their end of the bracket can stop. Uh, but let's get into our winners here. Um, for the reasons that I said earlier about Illinois, I think they've just got two dynamic studs that are clicking on all cylinders. And I just think that as long as fate doesn't repeat itself with Rutgers, that they will find themselves in this conference championship for sure. And I like the way they've played over the past couple of weeks. I'm, I'm going with the fighting Illini to take home the big 10 tournament championship. Yeah. uh, This is our third conference of the night. And this is the first time we're actually going to be in agreement about the conference tournament champion. I, I think it's going to be Illinois too. And I think they're actually going to beat Purdue in the Big Ten tournament final. Mm. I think Purdue will upset Michigan in that conference semi. Uh, you know, Illinois and Purdue are the two hottest teams coming into this tournament. That tends to play out this time of year. Um, I think both of them are going to make a run. But at the end of the day, talent wins out in basketball. And Illinois is just a more talented team led by Ayo Desunmu and Kofi Coburn, who is one of the largest human beings I've ever seen on a basketball court. He's large. He's large. He's, he's huge. Large is an understatement. He's humongous. I mean, my Lord. Um, he always gets in foul trouble, though, which is kind of disappointing because I'd like to see that guy actually play 30 minutes. But, you know, they have a decent backup big man for him, too. I forget what his name is, but um, mm-hmm. he's, a good, he's a good ball player himself. So I, I just think there's too much talent on the Illinois side. They're too well coached. And when push comes to shove, they're going to take the Big Ten title. Yeah. Coburn has just been a monster, and he has made other – team's top bigs just have he's just wreaked havoc on them not so much from from a scoring standpoint for but from a defensive standpoint his size and his ability to to block the rim and hold the fort down low he made i know i mentioned as a player to watch uh tracy jackson davis of indiana who's averaging nearly 20 and 10 for the hoosiers he befuddled coburn befuddled tracy 
Jackson Davis this year and held them to career lows in both their matchups. Um, so Coburn gets it done offensively. He gets it done defensively. Yes, he does get into foul trouble. So that's that's kind of the one thing that he'll need to stay out of uh, for the fight in the lion eye. But I think that they've got enough talent around him to survive, even if he is a unfortunately in some foul trouble at times. Uh, let's move to what is arguably, in my eyes, the, the best warm-up for the NCAA tournament. And that would be the Big 12 tournament. And the reason I say that is because year in and year out, this league just tends to have six or seven tournament teams. Some years, they almost have eight. But of those six or seven teams, they're usually almost always ranked. And this year is no different. The top seven seeds in this tournament are all ranked in the AP poll top 25 rankings. Uh, you've got ranging from number two to number 25. Uh, you've got top seed Baylor. They won their first regular season championship since 1950. Uh so I'll toss it to you, Mike, who, or rather what stands out to you looking at, at the big 12 bracket? Yeah. So um, when you look at the big 12 as a whole, uh, there are a lot of really, really high end talented teams and three particularly horrible teams just sitting there at the bottom. Um, but Baylor is just, they're just heads and shoulders above everybody else. That's just a surprising thing. You look at those other six teams behind them and any of them can beat another one on any given day, but Baylor just feels like it has a different level compared to these other teams. You know, what they've done this year, even coming off COVID, they had the one loss, but then they responded with three straight wins and they look back to their old selves heading into the conference tournament. They just, they're such a dominant force of nature this year. And I just don't see them losing a game in this tournament. Yeah, they've been a wagon all year long, which is surprising because they really don't have like a, a top talent, top caliber talent, a, a guy that's going to go in the first round of the NBA draft, a lottery pick on this team. So it's just an all around effort from everyone across the team, whether it be starters or a few guys off the bench contributing. Uh, it's been a whole team effort for the Baylor Bears this year, and nobody really has been able to stop them. Um, and for that, uh, so for me, Baylor has also has the easiest path. And I say that simply because they'll be the only team not playing a ranked opponent in the quarterfinals. They get a warm up game against the winner of TCU and Kansas state. And then, so they will breeze through that and they'll walk into the semifinals relatively unchallenged uh they'll get the survivor of west virginia oklahoma state and assuming that nothing goes awry in baylor's quarterfinal game i i expect baylor to handle uh what could be a tired uh west virginia or oklahoma state team in that semifinal and pretty much walk to the to the conference finals here uh, with relatively unchallenged, despite going up against 
uh, a potential top 15 team in either West Virginia or Oklahoma in the semifinals. Yeah. Um, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you, you look at the way this conference, you know, it plays out. It, it, it goes to everything you said. They get a warm up game before their real final two games of the tournament start. DCU and Kansas State are, I mean, they're just punching bags. They're, they're just a chance for, for Jared Butler and Davion Mitchell to, to get loose and, you know, for all the guys in that team to make sure all the rust is shaken off before they run into, into some of the better teams in the conference that might be able to compete with them, but won't necessarily be giving them a real game. Um, because like I said earlier, they're just, they're just so much better than everybody else in this conference. Yeah. Uh, who do you think has the toughest path? Toughest path. That is a good question. Um, I'm going to go with West Virginia here. Um, Oklahoma State, you know, even with Cade being hurt right now, they're coming off a really, really big win the other day. Uh, They've shown that they can contend against some of these teams without him. And if he is healthy, he is the most talented player in this conference. Um, So they'd have a difficult road just getting through Oklahoma State. And if they do that, they then have to go up against Baylor, who, you know, they did give them a game, but that was coming off the COVID rust. And like I said, Baylor seems like they've shaken that off. So that in and of itself is difficult. If they somehow get through those two games, you know, you get to the conference final and presumably Kansas, who has historically always played well in these games, or Texas, who has one of the more talented rosters in college basketball this year, is going to be sitting there waiting for them. That's just a brutally difficult road for the Mountaineers to get there. I don't know that they win one game, let alone three. Yeah, uh, I I tend to agree. However, uh, for me, the toughest path has to be Oklahoma. I know that their first game is an absolute cupcake against an Iowa State team that literally has not won a single game in the Big 12 conference play this year, which is embarrassing. I think the Cyclones have two wins on the entire season, which is just laughable. But at the end of the day, they still have to play that game. They still have to take care of business. And while you could say, yeah, that'll be good, it'll be good to get uh, the rest going, get some, get accustomed to the rims, get uh, the legs going, whatever. I just think that in a tournament where you are playing the most games out of anyone potentially, uh, that would backfire at the end. So I think just for that reason alone, Oklahoma has the toughest road because after they get through Iowa State, they got to start with Kansas. If they somehow take down second-seeded Kansas, then you get either Texas or Texas Tech, both of whom are very, very good teams. And then, like you said, almost certainly Baylor is there at the end. And, I mean, asking Oklahoma to beat Kansas – one of the Texas or either of Texas or Texas tech and then Baylor on their fourth for the fourth game in four days. Nah, no shot. Oklahoma has the toughest road in my opinion. Um, but let's, let's start talking about the players. You already mentioned Cade Cunningham. So let's talk about some other players. I know you did mention uh, Jared Butler for Baylor. Uh, he's been 
the Bears do-it-all junior. He's top three in the Big 12 in points per game, assists per game, and steals per game. So he's kind of been the catalyst at the top for the Bears to get them to where they are this year. And then Kate Cunningham, like you said, the, the freshman sensation, consensus number one overall pick in the upcoming draft. Uh, he's had a sensational year. He's had sensational performances when healthy. And hopefully he will be good to go for this, the Cowboys tournament opener against the Mountaineers. Uh, it would be a shame if he were not able to play in this tournament. Oh, yeah, no, this, this tournament won't be the same without getting to watch Cunningham get, go out there and, and get after it. He's, he's an exciting player. He's, he's so unique. He's such a big guard. And, um, you know, I know there was some controversy with him winning Big 12 Player of the Year over Butler. Both are high-quality players. It, it probably should have gone to Butler, but when you're a player as high-profile as Cunningham, you're, you're, you're going to win that award if you come out and play to your capability level. A couple of other players to watch. There's another pretty big-name freshman in the conference, uh, Greg Brown of Texas. Um, not the flashiest first year, only 10 points and six and a half boards per game, but a really talented player. Uh, he did average a block per game as well. Uh, he, he affects the game as a stretch four type of player um, and should have a huge impact for Texas if they're to make a run. And another player um, in the state of Texas – Former Biggie's Johnny, uh, Mac McClung for Texas Tech. I had to give another Biggie's Johnny a shout out. Uh, he's been electrifying in conference this year, uh, averaging 16 per game. Hit a big shot over Texas earlier in the year to seal a win for the Red Raiders. They're kind of limping going into this conference tournament, but he he's an impact player uh, at every level. And, um, you know, he, he should be somebody to watch because he just screams tournament hero. That's the kind of player he is. Mm-hmm. Now, talking about bubble teams in the Big 12, uh, Mike, who is on the bubble in the Big 12? Um, you know, not to be boring, but there's 10 teams. Seven of them are ranked, and the other three suck. So I don't think anyone is on the bubble in the Big 12. But I think it's pretty clear that seven of these teams are getting in, and three are not, no matter what happens. That was the correct answer. The bubble does not exist in the Big 12 this year. Shocker. Uh, it seems to be the case from time to time. Maybe there's a fringe bubble team in the Big 12. But uh, if you are looking for bubble drama in the year 2021, you have come to the wrong place. Uh, the Big 12 does not – the bubble does not exist in the Big 12 this year. So only a miracle run by one of those three teams that you said suck ass, and that being the TCU, Kansas State, or Iowa State of the world – they would have to steal a bid with a miracle run, uh, winning the entire thing, which you and I and everyone listening to this all know that is hopeless. That is not even worth throwing a dollar on, uh, even with whatever the amount, insurmountable odds that you could probably get on those three teams. It's not worth it. You know what also doesn't exist in this tournament? Dark horses. I'm sorry, but when... Like you said, seven teams are ranked in the top 25 and the other three are awful. There's no dark horse. They're all capable of making a run through this tournament. So unless you want to say a Texas Tech or an Oklahoma is a dark horse because they struggled down a bit down the stretch and it would be kind of a surprise to see them pull it together and win it, 
I really don't think there's a dark horse in this. Do you, would you agree with that, Mike? Yeah, I was looking at it and I was, I was going to say Texas Tech if you asked me, but I don't really think they're a dark horse because they're ranked. So, yeah, dark horses and bubble teams are just dead in the Big 12. They, they just non existent. Yep. And I'm not even going to waste our time. I think we're both in solid agreement here. Uh, it would be a total surprise to either of us if anyone not named Baylor won this tournament. Yeah, Baylor's the second best team in the country and their heads and shoulders above everybody else in this conference, like I've been saying from the beginning. Um, you know, I love me some drama, love me some underdogs when it's not my team, but it's going to be Baylor. Yep. It's unfortunate, but uh, it should but it should be good a good tournament. Maybe it maybe ends up being chalk, but it should be some really high-quality basketball from some really good teams in the world of college sports. Uh, moving along here to the Pac-12 championship. A uh, little bit of a, a funky bracket in terms of the fact that in, it's only 11 teams in this tournament this year, not the full 12, because Arizona, who finished fourth in the regular season standings, they are out of this thing due to a postseason ban. So the top three seeds are Oregon, uh, Southern Cal, and Colorado. And everyone that was behind Arizona in the regular season standings slides up a seed line. Uh, so going into the Pac-12 tournament, which doesn't really have a ton of top-end teams or talent, uh, with a, a few exceptions of talent. Um, Mike, anything stand out when you're looking first glance at the Pac-12? Uh, you know, I, I do recognize a couple of teams that do have potential top 10 NBA draft picks on their rosters here, um, USC and Stanford. But uh, other than that, it, I don't know. It's kind of a greasy-looking conference when you really look at it. It's just like the, the top three teams look like they're really good, and then uh, everybody else looks like it's really mediocre. And yeah. well, UCLA actually looks pretty good too, but – yeah, everybody else just looks pretty mediocre. That, that's that's it. It's kind of a bland conference. Yeah, and that's been the case for some time now. It just feels like the Pac-12 hasn't been uh, a top-end sort of power conference in terms of the, the sport of basketball for some time now. It's not that it hasn't had the star power or top-end talent. It's just the teams just don't seem to put it together uh, one way, shape, or form. Like, let's talk about the players. I mean, you've got Evan Mobley down at Southern Cal, the seven-foot forward. He's a freshman, potential number two pick in the draft. He's averaging 16 points, nine boards, two assists, and a whopping three blocks a game. Uh, his brother is also on the, the team. He's a sophomore. Uh, Isaiah, he's not too shabby either. He averages – nine points, eight boards, and two assists as well. So you've got a little bit of a brother dynamic duo down in Southern California. Um, and I'm probably missing a couple of names here. But aside, aside from Mobley, you really don't have any surefire NBA talent 
for at least in the sense of a first round pick. Uh, would you care to correct me if I'm wrong, Mike? There is actually one um, other player in the conference. Z.R.I. Williams at uh, Stanford was a projected top 10 pick this year. Uh, hasn't, hasn't exactly lit up the stat sheet from what I can tell. He's only averaging 10.7 points per game and 4.6 boards. But I've been trying to keep up to date with a lot of the mock drafts, and a lot of them have him going in the back end top 10. He's one of those wingers who's not – he's not going to do anything too flashy. He's kind of like Greg Brown. He's just more of a do-it-all gadget type of winger who just fills up the stat sheet in little ways across the board. Um, he's one of those guys who's – he's not in the big five. He's not with Obley or Suggs or, or Cunningham or anything like that, but he's in that second tier of – of NBA prospects where you think he could turn into a really good player at the next level with the proper coaching and development. Other than that, there's not a ton of people who really stick out. Um, Oregon does have a nice dynamic duo in Eugene Omoruyi and Chris Duarte. I, I couldn't pronounce that first guy's last name. Um, both are averaging around 17 points per game. It's probably the best duo in the conference and it's they've had so much success this year. Um, but other than that, you're not missing too much with the pack. Well, that's, it's like we said, it's just kind of there. Yeah, it's a greasy John of the conference for sure. Uh, so real quick, let's talk who's got the easiest and who's got the toughest path uh, without getting into too much detail. Uh, Mike, why don't you start? Who's got the easiest path? Who's got the toughest path? Man, um, you know, looking at the toughest path, uh, I'm going to go with the Stanford Cardinal. Um you know, losers of their last four entering this tournament, they come in as now the sixth seed. Uh, they, they're going to have to play, you know, Cal in the, the sort of warm-up game before they really get into it. Um, but that's just expending extra energy before they would have to go on to play Colorado, who's the three seed. And if they somehow get through Colorado, then they got USC, who's, you know, won two in a row, and, and Colorado's won four in a row. So those are those are two pretty tough teams to get through. They even consider sniffing the final of this tournament and looking at the easiest road, it's got to be Oregon. They don't have to, to touch either of the ranked teams until the final. And unlike any, and actually every other team on their conference looking at it has lost at least their last game. If not more than that, everyone else that they would play is on a losing streak coming into this tournament. They are the only team on their side of the bracket coming into this tournament on a winning streak. Everyone else is lost. So they are, they literally are playing a bunch of losers going into the conference on it. I don't know how it gets much easier than that. I didn't even realize that looking into it, but now that I'm looking at the conference standings, how are only, literally, how are only four of the 12 teams coming into this on a winning streak? I, I have no idea, but I just saw that and I'm like, that, that doesn't even make sense, but that, that has to play up for Oregon. Yeah, that you know, I I was gonna say that the easiest path was Colorado, just because their record against the teams on their end of the bracket is actually really good, seven and three, and which includes a sweep of uh, Southern Cal and Stanford. Um, but man, that's that's tough to you know to disagree with the whole uh, Oregon side basically is a bunch of doo doo garbage minus maybe UCLA. Uh, as a potential tournament team there. Um, but my toughest would actually be Oregon State because they've lost to everyone on their end of the bracket. And as a five seed, that's not something you need 
to know going in is that you've lost to literally everyone on your side, uh, eight and nine seeds included. So uh, the Oregon State Beavers definitely have an uphill battle uh, in, ahead of them if they want to try and make a run to the March Madness side of things. Uh, and sort of like the Big 12, the bubble really doesn't exist here. However, uh, I will say I think UCLA does quantify as a bubble team, especially with them losing their past three in a row. Uh, mock brackets are showing them as a 10 or 11 seed, so they're definitely now sliding into that bubble range. Uh, I think uh, if they if they get the, a win over Oregon State in that quarterfinal opening round matchup, the Bruins should be fine. Uh, but if they were to be bounced in the first round, uh, lose four in a row, I think that opens the door for uh, teams behind them to play catch-up, uh, especially any teams that start to go, go on a roll in their conference tournaments. Um, uh, what, do you have any uh, thoughts on the bubble in the Pac-12? Yeah, you know, haven't gotten to watch too much Pac-12 after dark, if I'm, if I'm being honest. But, uh, oh, you know, I, I don't really – I, I I know, man. God, I I would love to stay up, you know, at midnight <laughs> on a Saturday night to tune into Cal and Washington playing a battle of the crappers. But but hey, um, but but if you get Bill Walton on the on the broadcast, it's all worth it. Oh no, it, no, it isn't. I'm I'm one of those people who hates Bill Walton. So I, <laughs> it, 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 that that would actually make me that would make me get off faster and go grab more beer ah. instead of trying to sit down and watch it. Um, but. But getting back to the point, like you said, uh, no real bubble teams here. You know, it's it's the top four probably going to get in. And, you know, everyone after Arizona who's not playing is probably not going to get in unless one of them steals an auto. But so, uh, yeah, yeah, I would I would say that uh, those those top four teams are firmly into, you know, tournament places. Mm-hmm. Um, and real quick for a dark horse. I'm actually going to go with Oregon State. I think they have the toughest path because they've lost to everyone. But on the flip side, what I conveniently left out is that they've also beaten everyone on their side of the bracket, minus UCLA. They didn't get a second crack at UCLA, uh, so they lost their only matchup to the Bruins. So if if Oregon State can pull, uh, I guess it would be an upset, uh, over UCLA in that quarterfinal matchup, uh, you could definitely see the Beavers make a sneaky little run to the conference championship and potentially become one of those bid thieves uh, that we like to coin uh, as we get towards the end of championship week uh, going into Selection Sunday. So uh, for as difficult as a road as I think the Beavers may have, I think they're also capable of making uh, getting through it if they can just get past that first matchup. Yeah, Oregon State has a decent path. Um, I'm going to go with Utah. And the simply put, the only reason is because outside of the top three, they are the only team coming into this game on a winning streak. They have won one game in a row. <laughs> Every other team below the top three has at lost at least one game. But Utah, Utah, they've won a game. And guess what? They're the seventh seed. So if they beat Washington, they get UC- USC, who has the worst winning streak of the top three. They've only won two in a row. Then it, then they would get Colorado, who's only won four in a row. Then they would get Oregon, who's only won five in a row. So they've got the best <laughs> of all those crap teams. 
<laughs> because they're the only team that has any sort of momentum going into the sets out of the top three. <laughs> tell me, tell me. Oh my God, that that reasoning is fantastic. You know, it it really makes so much sense. The less you think about it, so I'm gonna ca- I'm I'm gonna count and I'm accounting for momentum right now. Oh, oh, and the, fair, uh, who fair, was the fair, fair. Uh, <laughs> so let's just let's just wrap up the uh, quote-unquote conference of champions uh, by picking our winners. Uh, I'm gonna go with the Buffaloes. I'm gonna go with Colorado University uh, to to pick up a, the auto bid here for no reason other than the fact that I think they have the easiest path, and therefore they should be the most likely to get to uh, the championship game. Yeah, uh, for similar reasons, I'm going to go with Oregon. Uh, it goes into easiest path. Uh, my, they have the best duo take earlier, and uh, my momentum take, they are the hottest team coming into this. They've won five in a row. So we're just going to ride the whole momentum thing with the Pac-12. It's going to be a momentum tournament. Fair, fair, fair. Uh, let's let's get out of the conference of, of fraudulence uh, and move on to the land of the SEC. Uh, they will be one of the few conferences that wraps up their championship on Selection Sunday. Uh, we're looking at a 13-team field instead of 14 teams because just like the Pac-12, we've got a team that is uh, ineligible due to a postseason ban, that being the Auburn Tigers. But in this case, Auburn finished 10th in the standings, so nobody really gives a flying you-know-what about them missing out on this tournament. Uh, the top four seeds uh, are Alabama, Arkansas, LSU, and Tennessee. Uh, I think uh, those four teams are in pretty good spots to make the tournament. Uh, I think LSU may still have a few question marks surrounding their tournament status, but they're definitely trending in the right direction. Uh, I think it would take a a massive uh, failure on their end in their opening round matchup for them to have to sweat, but we'll get into that when we start talking about the bubble on the SEC side of things. Uh, So I'm getting ahead of myself here. Mike, SEC, what stands out to you? Man, Nick Saban must have started coaching Alabama in basketball, too, because they're running the conference <laughs> in that sport now, too. I mean, my goodness, 16-2 and two in conference, 21-6 overall record. Uh, it's, it's weird to see them as a not only a football school, because they did win the national title in that sport, but, but actually balling out on the courts, too. And then I didn't realize Arkansas was a top-10 team. Holy crap, they came out of nowhere. I mean, they were, you know – what does that account for? They were 13 and five overall, but they've won eight games in a row, 16 and one home record this year. Maybe the hottest team going into any conference tournament right now. And those two were really good teams, potential to, you know, get two seeds, maybe even Alabama, one seed in the NCAA tournament. And then, you know, LSU is just, you know, it's it's all Cam Thomas. He's just been fantastic for them this year, mm. really carrying them. And uh, Tennessee being carried by, I believe his name is freshman guard Keon Johnson. I could be wrong in I that. I think you're but, right. Yeah, Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer, the other guard. 
uh, really carrying them. Th- those four teams, like you said, are are pretty well set for the NCAA tournament. Hmm. So, uh, easiest path and, and toughest path here in the SEC tournament. Uh, I think it's actually pretty straightforward. Um, Alabama, as the one seed, obviously is a strong bet to win this thing. Uh, but not only that, they are undefeated against the teams on their half of the bracket. Haven't lost to any of them. Uh, so, for that reason alone, it seems like they've got a pretty easy road to the finals uh maybe they get a kentucky team in the quarterfinals but kentucky is super down this year so that wouldn't be too much of a fight and then you get potentially the winner of florida and tennessee in the finals uh semifinals rather uh both those teams are unranked they have been ranked at times this year um but both teams kind of just be just kind of rolling, going through the motions, not really, uh, not really clicking on and firing on all cylinders. So I think Alabama's a pretty safe bet to make it to the conference championship. Yeah, uh, I, I couldn't agree more there. I mean, it's you know they've shown they can hang and just about beat any one of these teams that's going to get in their way. Um, They've got some momentum going into the tournament. They've got one of the more experienced players in the conference and John Petty, who might be the new Ron Baker, because I, I don't remember the last time John Petty wasn't playing for Alabama's basketball team, which is pretty sad. Um, but, you know, they've got, a, you know, a lot on their shoulders as the one seed that they, they should be able to handle it and coast to the tournament final. Um, as for the team with the toughest road, I'm going to go with Kentucky. And, uh, you know, like you said, Ryan, they're, they're really down this year. Uh, if, if they win their opening round game, I think they have an opening round game. They might not. I'm not quite sure how that works with, with them being down a team. But they now, then have to play. They're, they're playing uh, Mississippi State in the 8-9 matchup, second round to start. Okay, so they're in the second round. So Mississippi State's actually been the better overall team this year, although I don't Kentucky has a slightly better in-conference record just because they have one less loss. But, you know, if Kentucky gets through that, then they run into an Alabama team that's just been a wagon all year. And then beyond that, you're you're sitting there looking at Tennessee, Florida waiting for you. And and if you get through all that, it's likely going to be Arkansas who, you know, Ryan, Ryan, your boy's down in Arkansas. Since since you got there, they're just taking off. So, I mean, you know, they, they wouldn't fail you there against Kentucky. So, I, I think Kentucky's road is pretty brutal. Yeah, I also think Missouri has a pretty brutal path to get to the championship and and win this thing. Uh, So they're my toughest path. Uh, The Tigers are two and five against the teams on their half of the bracket. Uh, And that includes a loss to the team they're they're matched up with in the second round, that being the Georgia Bulldogs. They lost to their potential quarterfinal matchup in the Arkansas Razorbacks. Uh, they lost a pair to Ole Miss, and uh, they they lost to LSU. They beat South Carolina, and I think they beat Arkansas on a revenge game. Uh, might might have it flipped. They might have beaten Arkansas the first time around, uh, but they really they've really struggled against the teams on their half of the bracket. And Missouri is not exactly firing off on all cylinders down the stretch either. Uh, they, this was a team that was once in the top 25 rankings for uh, consecutive weeks and 
they that is just not the case anymore. Uh, so uh, Missouri is is definitely got a tough road ahead of them in terms of the teams that they are going to be up against all have their number this year. Uh, you, you got into the players to watch uh, definitely Cameron Thomas, for sure. That, that, that man is having a hell of a freshman season. He is a, uh, as some would say, a walking bucket leading the conference with 23 points per game. Uh, like I said, as a freshman. So that's, that's incredibly impressive. Uh, another player to watch is uh and i don't know how long we'll get to watch him because he's on a really bad team uh but scotty pippen jr the son of scotty pippen himself uh is playing as a guard for vanderbilt university uh this this guy averages 21 points three boards and five assists with two steals per game uh so hopefully uh the commodores can get past uh, the Texas A&M in that first round matchup. And we'll get to see him go up against the Gators on day two, uh, because it would be a damn shame if we didn't get to see uh, more only if we only got to see one day of Scotty Pippen jr. That'd be a shame. Any other players that you'd like to highlight in this tournament, Mike? Um, not really. I, honestly, I think I covered a lot of the guys that I want to see, uh, you know, Keon Johnson at Tennessee is, somebody who I really look forward to watching and, and how he plays against Florida and then Alabama. Uh, this is Petty's last SEC tournament. So obviously seeing his leadership on the floor and the impact he can have for Alabama. Um, and, and, and you said it himself, Cam Thomas, the guy's a walking bucket. He's been one of the most electrifying players in the country to watch this year. Um, I think those are really the three main guys that I'm excited to see in the SEC tournament. Mm. Now, in terms of the bubble in the SEC, and uh, unfortunately, it's now becoming a trend. There really isn't one. Uh, there really isn't a bubble, really, in the SEC. Uh, I think, in my opinion, LSU is safe, barring an absolute disaster in their opener, like I was alluding to earlier. Um, so I really am not considering them as a bubble team. Uh, I think they would. it would just take – some sort of just ridiculous absolute implosion on their end to miss it uh, making the tournament. So I think your only bubble team in the SEC would be the Ole Miss Rebels. Uh, now, ironically here, the, the Rebels, uh, should they win their 6-11 matchup against South Carolina, would get LSU in LSU's first game of the tournament in the quarterfinals. So that could be a, a potential bubble showdown uh, if, if Ole Miss were to beat up on the Tigers. Uh, but I really think Ole Miss has to win two games before they can even begin to stop sweating, not even feel good about their chances before they stop sweating. Uh, I think the Rebels need to make it to the conference championship just to really have a strong case to be in this thing. And they need to pick up some big-time wins along the way as well. They can't be just lucking their way into the top, the conference finals. Yeah, I would tend to agree there. I think this is a this is a five-bid conference with Florida being the fifth team. Um, Ole Miss looks like a team on the outside looking in, and they're going to need some help to get there. I think Florida losing to Tennessee and Ole Miss making a run to at least the conference tournament semifinals would be the only thing that could help their case. 
because Florida has only played 21 games this year as opposed to Ole Miss's 25. Um, and teams with around, you know, 19, 21 games played, I think, you know, the committee could look at that as like a, a bit of an issue with a lack of playing time. But other than that, I, I don't really see them getting in because I don't see them beating LSU. And I, I think the top five in this conference are pretty well set to get in, and, and that should settle it. So you don't you don't think Missouri is is a is a tournament team, Mike? Uh, I don't think so. You know, it's a pretty mediocre uh, conference record, eight and eight, and it wasn't a particularly good conference. Um, in looking at their early season schedule, oh, I did not see. You know, I didn't know about Missouri's early season success. They actually do have two quality wins from early in the season. Yeah, I mean they're they're four and one against ranked teams on the year. Like I said, they've they've kind of struggled in conference play, but they were undefeated in non-conference slate. They were in the rankings earlier on the season, and a lot of bracketologists are showing them in that six to seven seed range. So uh, I, I I had to question, uh, I had to oh, kind wow. of see where you were you were thinking about that because. They may be a seven seed in this conference tournament, but they're showing up with a similar seed line in many NCAA bracketologist minds. Uh, so I, I had to I had to see where you were going with Missouri because that that certainly seems to be a lock for a, a tournament bid in my eyes. Yeah, you know, um, on second look, I he, this might be a six bid, uh, you know, conference because um, I yeah they're they're going to get in. I mean that. You know, those are two high-quality wins out of conference and a pretty good overall in-conference record. I didn't, I didn't follow Missouri too closely this year, as you can probably tell from my idiotic analysis right there. <laughs> uh, that was pretty bad. That was pretty bad. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. We'll, uh, we'll have to cut that part out. Um, uh, but yeah, no. Dan, definitely don't cut that out. Uh, leave that in. Uh, Damn. I mean, sorry, <laughs> not sorry. I mean, you're looking at a team that beat Oregon in non-conference, they went. They won at Wichita State, which is another potential tournament team, and they beat Illinois, one of the few teams to beat the Fighting Illini this year. Uh, so that's an impressive non-conference uh, a trio of victories, so to speak. Um, and yes, they've kind of gotten stagnant in conference play. The eight and eight record is kind of kind of not great. But 15 and eight overall with the amount of wins that they have against top caliber of teams. Uh, they added a win over Arkansas on the road that's aged very well. They won at Tennessee. They beat Alabama, one of the few teams to do that in the SEC. And they won at Florida. So, yes, they've lost five of their past seven, which is never a good thing going into March. But with the resume that they do have, uh, I don't think there's any way the Tigers miss out on the NCAA double-A tournament. Yeah, they're they're definitely getting in. I kind of looked at their their overall record and I figured they're 15 and eight, but they're only eight and eight in conference, which means they probably have seven wins against like, I don't know, Arkansas, Pine Bluff, and Grambling State. So they're they're <laughs> probably not that high quality. And then I looked and it was like, oh no, they beat the number one team in the Pac-12 and the number three team in the entire country. <laughs> Uh, on top of having two high quality wins in their own conference. So yeah, they're pretty legit as a team. Uh, you know, my apologies to the Missouri Tigers for disrespecting them. Uh, 
you know, I, I didn't realize that without Michael Porter Jr., they were still going to be a good basketball team. But here they are. Well, you thought wrong. Uh, but let's quickly wrap up the SEC. Uh, I actually think the dark horse in this tournament is Ole Miss, simply because they're really the only bubble team that's got the most to lose. They're playing for the most, I guess. Yeah, you've, you're always going to have those teams at the bottom that it's, it's either the auto bid or nothing in terms of their postseason lives. But to be the only real bubble team here, the focus is going to be squarely on them in terms of the bubble and can they play their way into this thing. And honestly, don't be surprised if they rise to the occasion and they do so. I wouldn't be surprised if they took care of business against South Carolina and pulled the upset on LSU. So I'm not saying it's going to happen. And I, we've, we've both said that with our dark horses throughout this, this episode, but don't be surprised if Ole Miss puts a little bit of a run together in this tournament and plays their way into the NCAAs. Almost a good pick for the dark horse. I'm actually – I'm going to go with Kentucky, and I know that they've had a bad year. I know that they haven't even come close to meeting their expectations. But this is a John Calipari coach basketball team, and this is their only real chance to make this tournament is with the auto bid. There's way too much talent on that roster for them to be as bad as they are. They've known for a while now that this was going to be their only real shot, and I wouldn't be surprised if the guys got hyped up for this week. We're revved up and ready to go for the conference tournament and came out and made a statement against Alabama in, in that quarterfinal game and said, look, we know you guys have been the big dogs all year, but Kentucky's still a basketball school and this is still our conference. I, hmm. I, I don't know that it will happen because Alabama has been really good this year, but, but if a team is going to take out Alabama before the final, I think it could be Kentucky. And I, I think if they do that, you know, then the sky is the limit for them. All right, who you got winning the SEC tournament, Mike? Let's hear it. I'm going to go with the Arkansas Razorbacks, and here's why. On January 16th, Arkansas went to Alabama and lost the game 90-59, to a 31-point defeat. Since that loss, Arkansas has won 11 of its last 12 games, with the only loss being a four-point defeat to Oklahoma State, led by Cade Cunningham. It was an 81-77 to loss. That is scorching hot coming into this tournament. That, and that includes a 15-point win at home against Alabama. They don't have a super easy road, but they have a relatively overall easy road, at least to get to the semifinals, which would only carry their momentum further against LSU. And at this point, I think they might be the better team than Alabama. And for that reason, you know, when it's March, it's all about who's hot and nobody in college basketball right now outside of Gonzaga, who doesn't count because they just haven't lost. <laughs> Nobody in college basketball is hotter than the Razorbacks. Feed me, Arkansas. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're on an eight-game winning streak. They're playing the best ball of the season right now. And they are from the state that I currently reside in. So for those reasons, I will also pick the Arkansas Razorbacks. So make that uh, uh, an Arkansas sweep amongst the panelists here. Uh, no further explanation needed on my end. Uh, let's, so that kind of wraps up the power conferences. Uh, let's take a quick look through 
the mid-major tournaments, are there any that uh, stand out to you that you're going to be keeping an eye on, Mike, for any reasons? Is it players? Is it uh, teams? Are, are, are there any bid thieves in the mid-majors, some of these conference tournaments that you're going to be looking on the eye out for? So I think the biggest mid-major conference that you have to keep an eye out on is the West Coast Conference strictly because of the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Um, we've gone through the big six conferences, and none of the big six conferences have the number one team in the country. It's the West Coast Conference, and it's Gonzaga. Uh, they're the only team in college basketball that hasn't lost all year. When they put their best five-man unit out there, there isn't a better five-man unit in the country. When you get to Jalen Suggs, Joel Ayayi, Aaron Nembert, Corey Kispert, and Killian Timmy, um, it, whenever those five are on the floor, there's absolutely no way to stop them from scoring the basketball. They're an easy 80 points. They probably average closer to 90 a game, I think. The only other real team in that conference is BYU, who's coming in with a 19-5 and overall record, 10-3 and in conference. But Gonzaga shouldn't have a problem rolling them in the conference tournament. That seems like a two-bid conference to me, um, with Gonzaga winning the tournament and getting the number one overall bid. Uh, the other conference would be the Mountain West Conference. And it looks like there are two pretty good teams out there with San Diego State and Utah State, uh, both of whom could be, you know, feasible, feasible entries into the NCAA tournament. Um, mm. Although Colorado State and Boise State, uh, and a couple of other mid-major teams in the conference, pretty good overall conference records, decent overall records this year. Um, you know, I'd have to take a deeper dive into their schedule to look into whether or not they are tournament teams, but it seems like they could be. Uh, that should be a conference to keep an eye on, especially when you get to the semifinals, as there could be three high-quality games if the top four teams make it into uh, their respective spots in that conference tournament. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think the Mountain <laughs> West is definitely a, a, a conference to keep an eye on for their conference tournament. You've got a lock to make it in San Diego State. They've been in the top 25 most of the season. And then You've got a trio of bubble teams in the Broncos, the Aggies, and the Rams, that being Boise State, Utah State, and Colorado State. Um, I think another tournament that needs that people should keep an eye on is the American, and that's because of Houston. Uh, Houston has just been a, a dominant team in this conference, and they're not even the number one seed, for crying out loud. Uh they're a top 10 team in the country right now. They're, they had an amazing uh, win at home against Memphis the other day where Memphis tied the game up with a buzzer beater, not a buzzer beater, with a, a three-pointer with like a second and a half left on in the game clock. And Houston just hit a, a, a turnaround half-court heave to win the game at the buzzer. Uh, so an early taste of March Madness was was kind of awesome to see uh but there is there are some bubble teams in the american as well uh wichita state is the number one seed going into the american tournament and i don't even think they're a hundred percent lock to make the ncaa's i think uh if they were to choke their first game and uh the bubble played out a, in a unenviable position for the shockers there is a way that they could somehow be left out um and then you've got a team teams like memphis and smu that are going to be looking to play their way into uh, the field of 68 
they're probably on the wrong side of the cut line now. So they're going to be looking to get opportunities against uh, Houston and even Wichita state uh, as the field goes on. The only other one I want to touch on is the Atlantic 10. They're already at the championship round. Uh, It's the top two teams in the conference in St. Bonaventures and VCU. Uh, St. Bonaventures is looking like a a tournament team. They, They look like an eight or a nine seed somewhere in that range. Uh, but VCU is showing up in a lot of mocks as an 11 or 12 right on that cut line. Uh, so if they lose this game, uh, they could be in a really tough spot where they're going to have to hope that the bubble plays into their favor. Uh, so it would behoove uh, Virginia Commonwealth to just take care of business and lock up that auto bid in the Atlantic 10 conference. So let's wrap up things, Mike, with – a little bubble watch uh, with a segment. It's a classic one. Who's in, who's out. So I'm going to give you a list of 16 teams that I think are just above or just below the bubble cut line. And all you got to do is tell me who are they in or are they out when selection Sunday comes around? How's that sound? I like the sound of that one word answer is my favorite kind of answers. so let's get right to it uh let's start with georgia tech mike are they in or are they out in i have them in as well uh maryland how about the maryland terrapins in two for two i got them in as well uh ucla in. Well, that makes us three for three. Uh, let's see if we can get some uh, differentiation here. Uh, how about Colorado State out of the Mountain West? Ooh, it's a tough one. I'm going to go out. I I think they're going to get in. I think they they have to do some work in the Mountain West Conference Championship. But I think they're going to get it done. And I think they're going to hold, hold uh, just be just above the, on the right side of the bubble. Uh, let's move to Seton Hall. In. See, I, I have them out. And that's just because uh, the next team on, my, on the list here, St. John's, I have them in because I have St. John's beating Seton Hall in that bubble off. In, the, in that quarterfinal Big East game. Uh, so St. John's, I have them in. Mike? I have I have them in as well, even with them losing that game. I think you're going to get five Big East teams in. And I think, I think I have Hall in because I see them getting to the Big East tournament final and losing to Creighton, mm-hmm. whereas you see them bowing out right away. So I think that's where we differentiate there. But I think St. John's just has the overall record to keep them in. All right. How about uh, in the American Memphis? Memphis. I'm going to go out with Memphis. So I think this is my other team that I think is going to play their way in. They showed how they were more than capable of beating a Houston team this past weekend. I think they just have to, it's a matter of, can they actually get the job done? And I think that when it, all is said and done, they're actually going to get the job done in 
the American tournament. I don't know if they're going to win it all, but they're going to get, they're going to put together enough wins to get themselves in. Uh, I don't think the same way for their conference mate in SMU. I have SMU out. I agree. SMU's out. I simply, I don't think they played enough games. You play 15 games in a, in a calendar year. I, I don't care what your record is. That that just isn't enough for me. I got them out. Yeah. Uh, what about VCU? I think they're in. I do. I think no matter too. what happens. I, I yeah. I, I I tend to agree. I just think it's gonna. If they do lose, I think they're gonna be sweating it out big time because they're gonna have to wait and see. Uh, what they have to wait and see all week and see how the bubble plays out. And then they'll have their chance at the auto bid. And uh, they'll, they should have a pretty good idea of where they they fit on the, the bubble uh, by the time their championship game is played. Uh, Boise State. Well, if I had Colorado State out, I'm going to stick with it. I think that's a two-bid conference. I think Boise State's out. I also think Boise State's out. I think they're going to choke in the in the big in the Mountain West tournament. I don't I don't like their chances. Uh, what about Drake? They just lost to Loyola Chicago in the uh, Missouri Valley Conference title game. Mm. I'm going to go in because Loyola Chicago is a ranked team, 25 and four overall record, 15 and three in conference. It seems like that, you know, they're not going to be a, a high up team, but they do seem like they deserve a bid. I think Drake gets it. See, I think Drake deserves a bid. They're 25. What did you say they were? 25 and four, something like that? 25, 25 and four. Yeah. They've got a win over Loyola Chicago. They did lose two out of three to them. Um, but I have a bad feeling that this is going to be the classic mid major that gets screwed by the committee and ends up as like a top seed in the NIT. I think Drake is doomed. I hope that's not the case, but I think they're doomed. So I have Drake out. Uh, back to the Big East, Xavier. Oh. I think they're going to be in. I don't – I know that we're looking at – they've only played 20 games, but I think that being in the Big East, that kind of like Louisville – they're going to get a pass on that because they played just enough and won just enough and put together just a good enough resume. Uh, four teams left here on the list. Uh, I'm going to just rapid fire them through. Uh, St. Louis. Out. Out as well. Syracuse. Out. Yeah, out, out as well. Ole Miss. Out. Out as well, even though I think they could make a move. And Utah State. In. So you do have two Mountain West teams. I think they're the only – I think they're the second team. I think that a lot of the mid-majors are going to get two, and I think they are the second Mountain West team that gets in. They, I think they would have to play their way in. I think they're on the wrong side of the bubble right now. Um, but – they do have the two seed in the Mountain West, so that first game is going to be a big landmine. Uh, they're going to have to hope that Colorado State wins their first game as well 
in order to set up a, a nice little bubble showdown there. And they probably need to get to the conference title game in order to and have a matchup with San Diego State in order to feel like they could lose, uh, not win the auto bid and still make it in. I agree. I think that uh, they have a bit of a difficult road, but I don't know. It, it's been a, a quality conference all year, and to validate San Diego State more, would I, I think one of the better ways to do that would be to take another team from that conference and put them in the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, the, the two teams below them are kind of cold going in, whereas Utah State's four, won four in a row heading into this tournament. I think they've got a lot of momentum and the capability to beat San Diego State, so I, I see them as a possible – uh, NCAA bid. Yeah, and uh, holy shit, it's been two hours. So we have given you all the information you need to know about the conference tournaments in the year 2021 for men's basketball. Uh, if you're still with us here at the two-hour mark, uh, thank you. Good God. You, you had some free time on your hands, and hopefully we were able to instill some knowledge and uh, give you uh, – uh, uh, the appetizer, sort of the menu of what to expect this week for no, the conference. For my nap. Can you guys go over that one more time? Shut up. <laughs> the absolute worst producer in the game. Nietzsche rears his head at the end well, of this I podcast. Meal while you guys were talking about my favorite conference. I'm pissed. Yeah, you hate to see it. So that's going to do it for this very long, long episode of Fixin' to Talk Sports. Yeah, no uh, make sure that you go and follow and like, subscribe, all of the other podcasts in the Mouth and Off Sports family, that being Nick's Cool Zone pod with Jonathan, yeah. Mike, Mike's Foxborough Files if they ever uh, resurface with Zach and Dan Roach. As well as the Mouth and Off Sports Show pod itself with the OG gang. Uh, but for Mike Ayula, uh, Nichi on producer role, Fuck Duke. I'm, I'm Ryan Brown, and we'll see you next week. Fuck Duke.